Welcome back to Coaches on a Mission. I'm Dallas Travers. And if you're all about creating a ripple effect of positive impact in the coaching world, then today's final episode of our What to Do Instead series will strike a chord with you. This is focused on accessible programs, equitable pay, and savvy systems. So quick pause. If you haven't subscribed or followed yet, let's make that happen. Trust me, you're going to want to be in the loop for all of our incredible episodes we've got lined up for 2024. We're about to slice through the noise here and dive into a topic that's not just timely, but it's really timeless. So Aaron Perkins will help you craft online events that are as inclusive as they are influential, ensuring that everyone's got a seat at the table. From there, Tamson Perry will talk about fair pay when you hire an offshore virtual assistant in a way that just really makes sense. So we'll wrap things up today with Patty Woods, who's here to help you design systems that don't just work, but work wonders for you, whether they match the advice you see online or not. Okay, so let me nudge you one last time toward a no-brainer action, and that's to swing by dallastravers.com slash WTDI to snag your companion digital magazine. It includes special gifts from every expert in this series that are designed to elevate your approach to coaching, and more importantly, put what you're learning in this series into action. It's also 100% free to opt into the magazine, so you can do that now at dallastravers.com forward slash WTDI. Remember, Remember, with every new subscriber, we're donating a dollar to the AFIA Center, which is an incredible force for reproductive justice supporting black women and girls in Northern Texas. So grabbing your free magazine at dallastravers.com slash WTDI, it not only arms you with knowledge, but it also champions a worthy cause. So are you ready to level up your coaching practice with accessibility, fairness, and efficiency at the forefront? Let's do it. We'll kick it off with Aaron Perkins. Hi, my name is Erin Perkin, and I'm an accessibility educator. One of the things I do is I teach independent business owners how to be accessible beyond just your website. So one outdated practice that coaches need to dish right away is the lack of accessibility for online events. Let me share with you why we need to let this practice go. Not having an accessible online event is doing yourself a disservice as there are 1.3 billion people in the world that have a disability. The world is diverse and these online events should reflect and accommodate that diversity. I'm also going to talk about why accessibility isn't just a need. It's a right. It's a fundamental aspect of inclusivity that allows everyone to fully participate and equally. Before I take you through the stuff, let me introduce what you can do instead. Let's create an online event that is accessible and create ease for the people with disabilities. Now I'll take you through each step. We're gonna go through event accessibility checklist for your online event. Here's something that you should like keep in mind. In relation to the online platform, you want to consider the following. Is the caption turned on? Is the person that is typing live caption for the event? 
if you have under a thousand people for your event, it makes sense just to rely on auto caption. But if you have more than a thousand people for your event, you will want to consider hiring a person to do live caption for your event. The other thing is you want to consider is if you have over a thousand people, you will want to consider bringing on ASL interpreters or whatever country sign language interpreter you are in. And make sure that they are pinned so that they will always visible no matter who the speakers are. The next thing you need to do is have the ability for people who utilize screen readers to be able to download the slide deck so that they can download it. Step two, when you start the event, if you are the host, you should always let the audience know what accessibility features are available prior to starting. One of the things I like to do is like introduce myself and then mention that the captions available, the interpreters available, the option if somebody needs to have used a screen reader for the slide deck, please reach out to the tech people to and mention their name and let them know. If you have a panel or a speaker or something, you should always remind all the speakers to introduce themselves and share their pronouns. If there are blind people in your audience and they have shared this with you and they have asked that you have the speaker describe themselves. This is also another important step. You want to ensure that all participants are muted with the exception of the speaker. The background noise can cause distress for a lot of other people. Number three, for a speaker, you want to make sure that the microphone works. Have the speaker come on 10 to 15 minutes before the event actually starting. Have them check their speaker microphone. Have them look at the lighting so that can everyone see their faces clearly. You want to make sure that they are not backlit. If they are backlit, they will be hard for some people who do lip read. It's a speaker background simple. Like, if there are a lot of things going on in the background, or is it a virtual background? If it's a virtual background, you need to make sure that it's not distracting and it's clear. If this is a panel and you have multiple speakers speaking, it is highly recommended that you have them identify themselves each time they speak in a multi-person discussion. Also, you want to make sure that all the speakers are speaking at a reasonable pace. They're not speaking too fast or too slow. The fourth step we want to consider is your presentation. This is something that I would recommend you share with your speaker if you are presenting yourself. Think about the experience. Are you creating an audio to visual equivalent in the experience? This means that you will want to read the content out loud that can be seen. You will want to describe the images and caption anything that can be heard. Are there any motion or animation in the presentation? If you are using a fancy way to make your presentation more motion interested, you want to keep this minimized because that can create some reaction for people who are visually sensitive. And the next thing is, are you using plain language? 
avoid using specific jargon, acronym, or idiom. Sometimes when you speak, if you have a wide audience, you want to like keep your language simplified. If you do choose to use acronym, be sure to define them. The next thing you want to consider is pardon when you are switching to a new line of thought. This is something that a lot of speakers have challenges in, and it is being going from one thought to another, which leaves the opportunity for confusion when you switch from one idea to the next. It's recommended that you pause for a second, be okay with a moment of quiet. The next thing you want to consider is when you have a Q&A section during your event, allow only one speaker to speak at a time. When you ask people for asking questions, are you having people raise their hand? Be sure to have a consistent way of people being able to ask questions so that it is easy for people to follow along as to if you have to wait until the person is pinned on the video or if the captions get behind. Those are things you want to consider. Do you have an accessible copy of your presentation, including your handout? Are your PDFs accessible? Can it be read by the screen reader? If not, I would recommend doing a Google Doc or a Word Doc, a simple test of all the information that you've done to pass on to the people who need to use it as a screen reader. These are just some of the things that you can do to really ensure that your event online is accessible to people. Here's what's possible when coaches do online event accessibility. The reason being is that the more that people realize how accessible your online events are, they feel like they have been considered, especially people with disabilities. They're like, oh, I have been considered. You want to make sure that I am included in the event. I don't have to work twice as hard or three times as hard because they're closed captioned. Majority of the people that have created online events from the ways that I've taught them have learned that people in the audience are relieved when there are different levels of access for them. They don't have to think so hard. They don't have to try so hard. And that's just something that you want to consider when you're creating online events. If you take nothing else away from this episode, know that it's about progress, not perfection. You're not going to get this right the first time around. But just a simple fact by capturing your, making sure the online captions are turned on is something that creates this openness, invitation for people to want to attend your event because they know that they're going to feel included. So just start by one thing at a time and build from there. And really, it's all about progress, not perfection. Before we hear from Patty Woods, please go and download your companion What to Do Instead magazine. Do it now. You can do just that at dallastravers.com forward slash WTDI. Downloading is crucial for three reasons. Number one, every guest in our special series will share a free resource with you, and it's available inside the magazine. 
Number two, I will personally donate a dollar for every new subscriber who opts in, and I'm going to give that to the AFIA Center, which is really a pioneer for reproductive justice in North Texas. They've been doing it for more than 15 years now. And number three, we've turned every guest interview into an article to help you take what you're learning here even further. So What to Do Instead is all about helping you do business differently, and the magazine is your tool to make that happen. So please, do yourself, your business, and the FBS Center a big favor right now and download the companion What to Do Instead digital magazine. You can do that at dallastravers.com forward slash WTDI. Hello, my name is Tamsin Parry and I'm the founder of The Doing Co. I support online businesses to find top quality team members to help them grow their virtual teams. So my background is I'm an operations and team strategist. I was working in operations for many, many years, 25 years, in fact, or more by now. And obviously what goes with operations is managing teams and growing teams and recruiting top talent to execute in the businesses. So, but in the last 10 years, I've been focused primarily on remote teams and hiring people from abroad. It's just such an amazing um, opportunity for small businesses to really grow their teams in a way that they can get top talent that work closely with them and obviously in a more cost-effective way. But there is this industry, the outsourcing industry or virtual assistant agencies from abroad. There is a lot of stigmas attached to it. And partially, one of the main reasons why I started my business was because I did want to kind of disrupt the industry because there is so much amazing talent in the Philippines that isn't really being utilized. Um, And the opportunity to create a strong workforce and a strong culture and a strong relationship with your team members without everything that goes with the stigmas that have been previously attached to that. So I really do look forward to sharing with you how you can basically do it differently. And the benefit, obviously, for you is you'll you'll be able to get really amazing talent for much less than you would get that if you were hiring locally. But I will also just say, from my personal experience, I didn't start outsourcing to save money necessarily. My driver was I couldn't find consistent staff that would stay. I had incredibly high turnover because some of the roles that I was hiring for, like admin roles, I was getting junior staff in my local country, which was Australia, but there would be an incredibly high turnover. They would they would stay with the company for nine months, 18 months if I was lucky. And I just found that exhausting. And by hiring remotely, I was able to find much better talent, mostly graduates that were able to stay with the company for for years and years and years. So the outdated practices that I feel that it's time to ditch, well, there's actually two approaches. So what I see with coaches is they do one of two things. One of them is they hear about outsourcing or um, hiring virtual assistants from abroad, and they immediately associate it with some kind of exploitation. And so they just don't take the time to kind of look into it and see if there are other options. They just go, no, that's not for me because I don't want to be involved in anything that's exploitative. And of course, neither do I, but that's kind of like the stigma and the distance. And so what they do is they keep themselves in overwhelm and they don't look for the support they need. This is primarily for coaches that feel like that they can't quite afford a local person into their business. 
So they hold off, they get more and more burnt out. And one of my core beliefs is that I really want to amplify coaches. I feel like the work that coaches are doing now is so important and the world is like desperate for all the help that they can get. And what is so saddening for me is when I see coaches drowning under their workload and worse, quitting their businesses because they don't know how to get the support that they need and the help that they need. So that's one approach. And obviously we'll go into more details with some solutions. And then the other approach is coaches that say, oh, great, I'm just going to go and get the cheapest VA that I can find. And there's a real kind of disconnect in the relationship. So they don't see the VA as part of their actual team. They're just not treated like either the rest of their team and they just basically want to get as much work out of them. I mean, we see that less and less often, but it is something that we see. So now I'd like to share with you why we need to let these practices go. So in the two scenarios that I mentioned, I'll start with the second one, which is just hiring uh, cheap labor. I don't think I need to go into too much detail about why this model is outdated. It's unfortunate that it is still existing, this exploitation of I work primarily with Filipinos, but I know it's probably more widespread than just across the Philippines, but I do experience it. So it does still exist where people are being paid very, very little and working very, very long hours. So my feeling is that this audience, it doesn't really fit into that, but there is a missed opportunity because the Filipino standard wage or minimum wage is low. And I'm going to go into that more in detail in a minute. It's not necessary because by increasing the pay just slightly, it's still far, far cheaper than hiring somebody locally, but it is a fair and equal wage for someone in the Philippines. So we'll go into that. So it's just, if you don't know, just ask, just talk to them and just get to understand them. But the idea of underpaying people and treating them like they're a separate part of your business and they're not part of your actual team, those days are outdated. In the other scenario of why you need to let go of the practice of staying in the overwhelm and not looking into this, I just feel like it's a really, really missed opportunity. And I think there is the old stigma that we want to do everything ourselves and no one's going to do it better than we can. And I don't want to hire somebody else. And I certainly don't want to be exploiting somebody. So I'm not going to look into that. And I see a lot of coaches holding themselves back because of these beliefs that they have that are actually not based on truth. So hopefully through this podcast, I'll be able to share some more tips with you so that you can see a way through where you can get the help you need. And obviously no one is going to get hurt or harmed along the way. So before I take you through the steps, let me introduce you to what you can do instead. And that is to hire remote team members in an ethical way. So what that means is making sure that any company or provider that you engage with follows ethical principles and for you not to be afraid to ask questions and to see that that is something that's part of their values and cultures. So I haven't really gone too much into the exact process of how you could hire a virtual assistant yourself, but I do that in my um, recruitment guide. I do have that as a free download, which will probably be included here with this podcast. And it's also available on my website, but that will take you through the specifics of putting a task list together, creating a job description, putting your job ad out, and then making the offer. And then, as I said, incentivizing and then onboarding the VA. So 
but of course, I'm more than happy to answer any questions specifically around like what would be an ethical offer and things like that. So I just wanted to share with you about what's possible when you explore this idea of ethical outsourcing, because obviously it will just suddenly free you up from any preconceived ideas that you may have had about outsourcing and really provide an opportunity for you to go, oh my gosh, I can actually get the support I need for seven, $800 a month. And I do recommend full-time because you then have, there is definitely an art to hiring the right people. And typically part-time, this is a generalization, but part-time people tend to take on more work. And this is not just Filipinos. I find this with VAs in other parts of the world as well. They take on more work that they're able to do. So to have somebody full-time with no other distractions, just you, it's a game changer because you will have so much space and also it changes your mindset. So if it's your first hire, suddenly you can start freeing yourself up to be more in the CEO role because you won't be doing the, the simple administrative tasks that you have to do. By suddenly doing that, you create a distance and you create, you can really create the space to step more into that CEO role. So one story that I'll share is one of my clients has a coaching business. She does business coaching for builders. And we hired a VA for her about two years ago when the business was just beginning. I can't even say what they are able to do in the business from email marketing to client onboarding, um, managing all of their clients. Their business has grown from like 17 people in their monthly coaching program to over a hundred. And it would be, and their team is the two business coaches, a community manager part-time and their one Filipino VA basically ran the whole operations of the business. And that was for a year. And only now when they've had this huge growth up to a hundred members, they've hired their second VA that will basically share the load. So this is a multi-million dollar business that's being run primarily by two Filipino VAs and one community manager. There's a lot of opportunity. So yeah, I hope that this has inspired you to take a look into it and see if there's an opportunity for you here. So if you take nothing else from this episode, I hope that you know that there is an amazing Filipino professional waiting to support you in your business and that there is a way that you can ethically bring them into your company, bring them in to be a part of your team and your team culture, and you can finally get the support that you need. And certainly my work is very, very fulfilling knowing that not only am I helping coaches to really move more into their zone of genius so that they can let go of the activities that are not allowing them to stretch and reach to the people that they're needing to, as well as free up their time to be more involved in the revenue generating activities of their business. And also, of course, finding amazing roles for these really, really talented Filipino virtual assistants. So in my small way, I feel like I'm changing lives by creating a little bit less stress and overwhelm for the business owners and creating amazing opportunities for these amazing Filipino professionals. So I wish you well, and I look forward to connecting. My name is Patty Woods, and I'm an operations specialist and consultant for six and seven figure coaches and creative service providers. I design incredibly easy, intuitive, and fun user experiences, custom fit for neurodivergent chief everything officers to run their business backends, which matters to me because they wrestle with distractibility when it comes to systems, operations, processes, organization, and executive function because that's how they're wired. So instead of fighting it, I just go with it like I had to for myself when I recently discovered that I'm neurodivergent. One harmful practice that coaches need to ditch right away is the myth that you need to act 
like an ultra-productive, system-sophisticated, linearly logical thinking COO in order to get the kind of stuff done that you're so great at stacking onto your out-of-sight, out-of-mind pile until you have to go full-on ghost mode to get it over the finish line. Let me share why we all need to let this strategy go. You can't force yourself to be or think in a way that would require a complete brain rewire, if it were even possible. So you're keeping yourself stuck in a cycle of shame spiraling all the projects you start strong and frequently delay or don't ever finish. And in its worst iteration, attempting to adopt this practice as your truth might cause you to prematurely pivot or burn it all down and walk away from entrepreneurship altogether. Before I take you through the steps, let me introduce you to what you can do instead. Embrace a less mess management style that supports your creative, distractible, always on brain. It's a method I like to call chaos control like a COO for the not so systems minded. Now I'll take you through each step of the chaos control like a COO method. Phase one, detect. This is the meticulous observation of a situation to identify there's a problem and then define that problem at a deep level. When you're in detection chaos, you not only see every tree in the forest, but every vein and every leaf and how they're all connected to keeping the planet alive. You're trying to solve every aspect of the problem at the root without relieving the most aggravating surface level symptoms first. Solution for detection chaos is a zoom out day. And in my zoom out day, you take one or two days every month, get out of the office, set your vacation autoresponder to on, notebook, pens, highlighters. Go digitally detoxed if you can. Do your deep work away from the office, somewhere that inspires you, just somewhere out of your normal daily routine. The end of the day, you should have a journal full of notes and things that you discovered along the way. I want you to take your highlighters and highlight the most exciting, enticing, shiniest things on the list. Then I want you to rank and order them by lowest lift to highest reward based on your values and your definitions of what you want for your business. Then I want you to take the winner at the top of the list and put it on your quarterly projects list. Then at the end of the quarter, when you start the next or every year or semi-annually, however often you do a check-in, look at the highlighted item that's on your list. How did it go? Did you make any headway with it? Did you forget about it? Do you want more time? If so, leave it on the do list. If not, demote it to later or archive it if it's just not a fit anymore. Okay, step two, phase two is discover. In this phase, you seek out as much information as possible regarding documented solutions that are currently available. When you hit discovery chaos, every rabbit hole that you go down in search of a solution seems like part of the fix and you're so desperate to solve for the what, you impulsively try to execute on all of the hows at once because you're driven by an underlying must deliver and must know exactly how narrative. The solution for discovery chaos is my sprints meet Tabata session. So if you're not familiar, Tabata is a way of stressing muscle groups at their highest intensity for 20 seconds, followed by a 10 second rest period and repeating for a set number of cycles for efficient bodybuilding or fitness development. And the sprint is a short, dedicated time frame to complete portions of a larger project that include quick daily stand-up meetings where you review what you worked on, what you're working on today, and where you're having roadblocks. Then at the end of each sprint, that dedicated time frame, there's a final debrief that goes through how effective that sprint was, 
Did you get any further towards your goal? Did you meet your end results? Did you meet your milestones, et cetera, et cetera? So what I'm suggesting is you let your brain go down all the Tabata rabbit holes that it wants, even if it wants to do it all at once, fine. Just remember to pace yourself at a two parts rabbit hole to one part light of day work and put them in a scrum. So each rabbit hole, each Tabata has its own scrum where you say, okay, I will allow myself two weeks to go down the rabbit hole of this Tabata. And daily, you're going to check in with, what did you learn? Where are you going? Is it a positive or negative effect to move your solution forward? That sprint rabbit hole, then you can decide if it merits a deeper dive. When you slow your brain down long, just enough to do your daily check-ins, the scrum sprint stand-up, and to rest between your deadlifts, the Tabata rabbit holes, give it just enough time to instinctively know if it's worth it to continue down the rabbit hole or to put it to the side. Okay, phase three of the method is decide. This is where all the collected how inputs are processed, parsed, and distilled down to create a comprehensive and viable solution to the what problem that you discovered in phase one. And decision in chaos looks like an overstimulation with the massive inputs you took in. So you're out of sight, out of mind them until you have space to process. And at the same time, you have this drive to solve and not harm. So you'll therefore sit and belabor tinkering to get everything perfectly aligned instead of letting it evolve over time as it's being tried, tested, and proven. So your decision is basically not to decide. My solution for being stuck in decisioning chaos is Kaizen over Kayakaku. Basically, Kayakaku is evolutionary scale change, and it's extremely to get buy-in for it. Kaizen is small incremental change, getting from point A to B as opposed to point A to Z. So if you choose Kaizen over Kayakaku, you'll get your solution out in the light of day to let it be played with in phases so you can see how it's received and make it better over time with feedback from the people who are actually going to use it. It might totally change the trajectory of what you create. Believe me, it's happened to me. All right, phase four, deploy. The deploy phase is the solution where everything is ready and made available for others to adopt. What deployment chaos looks like is either a fear of success or a fear of failure. And if it's a hit, what happens is you overload your life with fulfillment or expenses, finding someone to help you fulfill on it. If it's a fail, you're risk public banishment, but not really because there's a lot of noise out there. So unless you're truly awful, it'll be forgotten as fast as last month's mem fodder. But that's beside the point. My solution for deployment chaos is to be like Bill and Ted, seek out Socrates or Socrates, as they would say, who says, know that you know nothing at all about how anything will turn out. And Use the Socratic method. It's a cognitive reframing exercise that's incredible. It's very helpful for people who are negative biased to run the best case, worst case scenarios. What do you think might happen? Why do you think it might happen? What proof do you have that it might happen based on what happened when you did something like it before, et cetera, et cetera. Once you have done that for your solution, you can then decide based on your Socratic answers. If the pain of keeping a viable solution to yourself or the gratification from seeing your solution helping others feels like a better fit for you, and then go with it. Here's what's possible when coaches use chaos control like a COO. First, they get to ditch the do until done that they've been programmed with as the only way to be successful. It's just not true. Second, they get deep understanding that getting things done is not about becoming a taskmaster in any way. 
At its core, this method uncovers how you show up when you allow your brain to problem solve in a way that's you brain friendly and entices you all at the same time. And finally, when you do show up and allow your brain to problem solve in the way it naturally wants to, you get to find the fun in crossing the finish line so you can move your focus sooner and more often to the stuff that you enjoy. If you take nothing else away from this episode, know that you're pretty damn good at recognizing patterns in your area of expertise. Business operations overwhelm just happens to be mine. And adopting this framework when everything else feels too heavy can allow you to recognize and gamify the chaos patterns when they show up for you in your own business. If it helps, you can think of it like this. Symptom, I feel buried and overwhelmed by all the have-to-dos in my business. Cause, I don't spend the vast majority of my time doing what I love and I'm a genius at. Deeper root cause, I don't ever choose to show up and be fully vulnerably myself inside my business. Symptomatic cure, chaos control, like a CLO method, of course. Adopting the 4D framework is to gamify chaos control. It's a mix of reverse psychology meets mindfulness. And if it feels like something doable for you, just give yourself a little time to practice it and see how the game plays out for you. And as far as a Kaikaku-style cure to operations overwhelm, eh, that's a problem for another time. Anyway, wishing you all the luck in the world. Let me know how it goes for you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're new to Coaches on a Mission, please take a moment to like, subscribe, follow, do all the things so that you don't miss another episode. This small act of support actually helps us get this important what to do instead message into more earbuds of values-driven coaches just like you. So speaking of that, if you know a values-driven coach who could benefit from this episode, this show, or definitely this series, please share this episode with them now. And don't forget to download your companion What to Do Instead magazine now at dallastravers.com slash WTDI. We will see you soon for another excellent episode.